Before I dive into my message, I just wanted to share some news with you. Uh, we had our members uh, meeting this week. Uh, some of you were here for that. Uh, some of you weren't. Um, and I just wanted to share the good news uh, that you would have heard if you had been there. And that's that for the first time in five years, we ended, aside from buying a new furnace and AC, we ended with more money than we started with. Yes. <laughs> That's huge, um, and that is because of the faithful giving of our church, and we don't really like or want to talk about money all that much, but the reality is, as ministry does cost, it does cost us money to heat and to cool this building, um, the various outreach ministry projects, those things, and we simply can't even do what we do without the faithful giving of our church, um, and so what I want to say real quick is keep going, Okay. Um, keep giving, keep being faithful in that, and it's so good to see God work in such ways. Um, and that has been, uh, here's, it's been a stress in my life for the last four years that I'm not stressed about anymore. This is great. So I just want to say thank you to our church and for the giving, and uh, especially to the Lord as he continues to bless this congregation to grow it um, and, and to help um, and to see us thriving. It's, it's so awesome. That said, that has nothing to do with the rest of the message. So just put that aside now, right? And um, I'm going to ask you a question. What are you known for? What are you known for? If I were to ask maybe a family member or a friend, hey, um, who is Lorenz? What's the most important thing to know about him? Or I could say the same thing about a Chase or a Grace or a Jane or any of us. What is or what are you known for? Let me ask it another way, maybe a little more pointed. When someone looks at your life, do they know that you worship the one who created the heavens and the earth? Do they know when they look at you that you are taught by the teacher of truth? Do they know that you are a called child of God? Do they know that you are the son or daughter of a king? The king. What are you known for? Are you known for being connected to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Or are you known for something else entirely? Today, that's what we're going to be talking about as we get into the book of John. I want to read from uh, verses 31 through 35 of John chapter 13. Okay, again, that's John chapter 13. Verses 31 through 35. If you've been with us, you know that we have been in the book of John for a very long time. You will also know by that that we will still be in the book of John for another fairly long time. Because we're in John chapter 13 and there are many more chapters to come. John chapter 13 verses 31 through 35. Five. Let me read this for you, and then we'll start getting into it. It says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, 
and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, I want to just say regretfully, we cannot address everything in this passage today. I tried, but it's really, really hard. <laughs> there is a lot here. And what I want to do today is focus mostly on verses 34 through 35, though to get there, we're going to look at verse 33 specifically. Next week, we should be able to bring in kind of this, what we're leaving out this week, and then the next passage for next week. They tie together really well. But to give verse 34 and 35 the justice that it needs, as what has been described as one of the most important scriptures in all of the scriptures, <laughs> not just even in the book of John, we need to be here. Friends, as we approach the text today, what you need to know is that Jesus is getting ready to leave. He is getting ready to go away. He, it tells us that. He tells us that in this passage. This is something that we sometimes forget at this point in the book of John. Because chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all... From the last day of his life, in fact, the, the teaching they cover really probably only covers about an hour and a half. You heard that right. Uh, about a third of the book of John is from the last night of his life. And so as we're reading this, sometimes it's easy to think, wow, like the, Jesus isn't being crucified for a very long time. No, in the next day, I mean, this night he's getting arrested, the next day he's going to be crucified. Friends, I remember moments in my seminary education as I was preparing to become a pastor where everything felt like a fire hose. I know... Uh, Scott's around here somewhere. I think he feels much the same way as he's working through seminary now. Have you ever felt like someone took a fire hose, aimed it at your head, and then turned it on? That's what it felt like. Here's the, the perspective that I want us to have as we are in where we are today and really where we will be. What is going to take us a year, give or take, to go through? The disciples got in an hour and a half. It is the biggest fire hose I think imaginable. It's no wonder they didn't understand or get any of it. 
And it wouldn't be for a while the working of the Holy Spirit before they started, the pieces started clicking. We are given a gift in this that we get to address it piece by piece and take it in and hear it and listen to it and digest it before we're then taking another heavy piece. Jesus is leaving. Jesus is going away. They are so near the end, he tells them this in verse 33. He addresses them very lovingly, hear this. He says, little children. That's the kind of phrase that a father would use with their kids, with their beloved. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Just a, a little while, I mean mere hours. He says, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, the fullness of this we will actually address next week. But what we need to know, and I'm going to keep saying until we really understand it, that Jesus is leaving. He is about to leave his friends. He's about to go. He's about to not be with them. His ministry on this earth is about to be done. He is leaving. Now, just a quick reminder... Something I hope you know, if you don't know here, let me tell you now that God is love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us God is love. In, Emmanuel, in uh, Isaiah 7, 14, we read that Jesus is God with us. The word Emmanuel. In Colossians 2, 9, we read that Jesus is the fullness of God. In John 14, 7, in a few weeks, we will learn that those who have seen Jesus have seen the Father. Friends, Jesus is love. Right? Now, the, the word that's used in this passage to describe love is the verb form of the word agape, which is the noun form of a divine love. It is a love that is beyond us in many ways. It is a love that, that starts from God and lands in us. It is a love that God has for God, that the Father has for the Son and the Holy Spirit, that the Son is for the Father and the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit has for the Father and the Son. Can't believe I made it through that and said it all right. Agapao is the verb form of agape, love. And that is the love we read here. And friends, hear this. That is the love that is leaving with Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. Think about what it means for love to be leaving. Right? At Christmas time, we celebrate the, the arrival of love. And now we are here and we see that love is leaving. Now, church, let me ask you this. Have you ever loved and lost? Have you ever loved and lost? And maybe it's the ridiculous love of childhood. Or maybe it's the heart-wrenching love of losing a spouse. Or maybe losing a mom or a dad, or a child. I 
Every one of us, I would venture to guess, knows what it is like to have had love, and it's specific to be loved by someone, and for that person to be gone. There is a hole in our lives when that happens. It is a hole that, that is just there, and you can't even really describe it. Now, if that love was big enough, that hole extends to our whole world. Jesus is leaving. Love is leaving. And the hole that is about to be left is massive. It is a God-shaped hole that only God could ever fill in our hearts, in our lives, and yes, in the world, because when love came, it took up space. And when love leaves, it leaves this big, gaping hole. Now most of us, maybe all of us, have seen pictures of sinkholes under cities. Those moments when, through the process of limestone melting away with the water, a big cavern opens up and eventually it can't hold the weight above and entire city blocks just fall into the earth. That is what I picture when I picture the fact that love is leaving. And the question comes, what will fill this giant hole? What will fill this giant hole as love leaves? And that brings us to the verses we're going to focus on today. Verses 34 and 35. Let me read these again for us. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Friends, Jesus says, I'm leaving. Love is leaving. And then he tells his disciples that he has a new command for them. That they would love just as he just as he did, just as he has, and just as he will continue to do so. What is the answer to the question of, of what will fill this God-sized hole of missing love? It's the church. It's you and I. Are you filling that hole? When you think about your life right now, are you filling or partially filling that God-sized hole that is left behind when Jesus left? Are you filling up as much of that hole as you should be? Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. Now the interesting thing about Jesus saying, a new commandment I give you, is that he's already given it to us. He's already said over and over again in other places that we must be about love, that we must love. The entire scripture actually teaches this. To go all the way back to the law, 
It's about loving our neighbors. But Jesus says, a new command I give you. A new command. Which kind of begs the question, was Jesus wrong? Was it not a new command? The answer to that is, no, he was not wrong, okay? If not, then what does he mean by new command? What does he mean by new command? What we're going to look at now, at the, really the rest of our time, is, is what new this takes. And as I was studying for this and reading and thinking and praying, um, it's really interesting. Almost every, if not every commentator, every writer that I, I approached, approached this passage in much the same way with these same words. So I'm not afraid to steal them right now because everybody else already did from somewhere else. Okay? What we see in this new command, we're going to look at each of these, is that there is a new object of that love. There is a new object. We also see that there is a new measure. Now, the word that I added in is a new model. A new model. And there are new results. See, the command comes out of what has already been given. But there is a new object, a new measure, with a new model. And new results. What is the new object? Well, first of all, what is the old object? When you go to the Old Testament and you look at the old object of the command to love, who are you supposed to love? Does anybody know? Your neighbor. You're supposed to love your neighbor. Now, at that time, your neighbor was those who you were related to, those you lived really close to, and those who were literally the most likely you that could be. In other words, as you approach from the Old Testament, what you see in the command to love your neighbor is really the command to love people who are a whole lot like yourself. And how hard is that? I mean, if I only am supposed to love those who I get along with really well, that's kind of easy. Jesus, in Luke 10, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, begins to redefine what neighbor means. And he extends neighbor to include those who are actually an enemy, those who are on the opposite side of the faith spectrum from you, those who are very much different. But still, that doesn't go as far as what Jesus says here in the new commandment. The call is to love one another. And that's the key word here, to love one another. Who is one another? It's all the disciples. Now before we begin to think, hey, they all agree, right? They're all on the same page. You need to take another look at the disciples. The, the 11 that he's talking to here are a group of men that had no reason to be together, aside from Jesus. Some of them seem to love Rome while others of them wanted to plot and fight against Rome with violence. Some of them were faithful Jews. Others of them, the tax collectors, were faithful betrayers of the Jews. This is not a group of, of people who for any reason but Jesus would have been together. Yes, they agree they are unified in Jesus, but there is little else that keeps them together. It isn't that a great image even of a church like ours? where you start looking at people who are this or that, who are very much different, who, who think different politically, who have different ideas economically, different races, 
different places that we were born. Some of you think I'm just an East Coast crazy person. Okay? Jesus says you need to love one another. See, the object moves from the neighbor who you are like to the disciple who you may have every difference from. Regardless of anything else that may divide them. And you see this in the new church. You see this as the disciples begin forming the church. There are people who are, there are men, there are, are women, there are people who are black, white, brown, olive, and any number of other skin colors they might be. There are rich and there are poor, there are slaves and there are free, there are leaders, there are followers. There are those who were born there and those who were born here. The disciples of Christ are called to love the disciples of Christ. The followers of Jesus are called to love the followers of Jesus. Jesus says, a new command I give you, to love one another. Christ followers are called to love Christ followers. That's where the object changes. But not just the object, but also the measure and the model change in the new commandment. The measure and the, mo and the model. The old measure and model was the law. A finite list of ways to get along with your neighbor. When you go back to those and you read them, I hope many of you are, that's about where some of you would be if you're reading the Bible in a year. You start reading through those and you see that in a lot of ways what they are is a relying on the golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. Don't steal your neighbor's cow because you wouldn't want your cow stolen, right? If you find your neighbor's cow, bring it home to them. Because if somebody found yours, you'd kind of like it back. But as you get into that list, what you see is, is that it's pretty narrow. It is meant to keep neighbors living with neighbors. It is meant to keep the peace. And it does not go far enough. In verse 34, as we get in back into our text, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. Friends, Jesus becomes the measure and the model of love for the followers of Christ. Jesus becomes the measure and the model for you and I to figure out how to love you and I. Anything less, and hear this, anything less is falling short. Anything. Remember that hole we talked about a few minutes ago? It is a really big hole. One that can only be filled by love that is just like Christ's love. Just like it. That's what Jesus says. When he calls us to fill this hole, he says, look, you got to do it like I would. Which means that when we are working on loving one another, our first thought should be, man, how would Jesus love Chase through this? Not how would Matt. Not how would a trained pastor. How would Jesus love Chase 
through this? How would Jesus help Stu grow? How would Jesus do this? The church is called to love love just as Christ loved. This is the new command. To love in the measure and the model of Christ. I want to look at these things a little bit separately. First is the model. Friends, when you think about the love of of God, the love of Christ, when we think about that verb agapao, the the verb form of, of agape, what we see is that it is a very practical love. It is not rooted in emotion. It is rooted in serving. It is rooted in care. It is rooted in doing. Hear this, church. When we think about Christ's love, we need to realize that in love, Jesus gave up everything. He gave up everything. He sacrificed. Not only at the beginning, when he gave up the power of God, the glory of God, and was born in this tiny human form. But at the end, he gave up his very life for his disciples so that they might live. In love, Jesus gave up everything. In love, Jesus called his disciples. In love, he called them. He reached out to them. There were men and there were women who didn't know him who didn't know of him. And they were to be his disciples, so what did he do? He called out to them, often by name, and said, come, follow me, travel with me, learn from me. He called them. Church, Christian, in love, who have you called to Christ? In love, Jesus adopted his disciples. He adopted them. Some of these men and women were people who had no family. They had no real community. They had nothing. And Jesus adopted them into his family. They became, we became children of God, sons and daughters of the king. In love, Jesus adopted. Church, who are we adopted? Who have we given a home to who had no home? In love, Jesus taught. In love, Jesus taught, right? That's that's really what he did. <laughs> and he taught the things they needed to know that they that would grow them, that would benefit them, that would lead them to be the kind of men and women that could fill a hole that he was leaving behind intentionally so that they could fill it. In love, he taught. Who do you teach? Who have you taught? Some of you are thinking, I've only been a Christian for like a few months. (laughs) You're further along than somebody. There's somebody who needs you to teach them in love about Christ and the Word. In love, Jesus sanctified. Think about this. Jesus took this ragtag group of people and he brought them along in every way. He equipped them. He, he, he brought them along in holiness. 
And what you see as they continue to move forward is, is that they were brought along out of sin. This is where this might get a little bit real for some of us. Right? If the object is one another, then whose job is it? To do these things, one another. It's not my job as your pastor alone to help lead you in these things, to teach and to lead you towards sanctification. This is what we all get to do. Do you know where the church would be if the church left it to the leaders alone? The church would be nowhere because the leaders of the church are inept. All of us. We can't do it. But together, the sheep are supposed to love one another. We can help each other towards sanctification. You say, well, no, God sanctifies. Yeah, he does so through us, loving one another. In love, Jesus rebuked. Just think through all the times in Scripture, and think about Peter in particular, where, where Jesus just rebukes Peter over and over and over again. Why? Is it because he doesn't like him? No, it's because he loved him. Peter was one of his best friends. And so when Peter gets it wrong, what does Jesus do? He says, no, Peter. No. If Jesus is our model for loving people, then we are going to need to rebuke. There are times when I may need to be rebuked. There are times when you need to be rebuked. <laughs> there are times when we must, because we love each other, challenge each other. Now, Jesus did a lot of things. And they were all in love, so I can't keep doing this forever. But the last one that I want to say is this. In love, Jesus protected. In love, Jesus protected. You think about his shepherding of his, his people. He protected them. He guarded them. In love, church, we must protect one another from ourselves, <laughs> from the enemies, from the wolves, from the devil. See, Jesus is the model for love. And, and the great thing is you could do this all day. Because everything he did was in love. He was love, right? And so everything he did came out of love. And some of the things he did hurt. But it was good. So you look at the model of love, but then we need to look at the measure of Christ's love. Or another way to think about this is the magnitude of Christ's love. See, we measure our love based on his magnitude. And for this, there's no better place to look than to the cross. Where Christ's love for his disciples is on full display in the horror and the torture of the cross. And Christ's willingness to bear the sin and sin's punishment for those he loves. The magnitude of Christ's love is seen on the cross. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So we measure our love based on the magnitude of Christ's love. And it's at this point that I can just say simply that none of us are measuring up. None of us. The most loving in this room still falls short. And that's a problem. It's a problem. Because there's a hole in this world that is supposed to be filled by the men and women who are disciples of Jesus Christ. And we're not doing it. We're not. Now some of us, some of the time, are. And in this, of course, we look to Christ. We say, in Christ, please forgive us. Right? Amen. Please, right now. I mean, if this is you and you're thinking, then the prayer is, Christ, forgive us for not loving the way you have called us to love. And we should be praying that a lot. Because, friends, Christ didn't leave so that there would be a hole. He gives this new commandment to his disciples. He gives the changed object, which I think actually makes it manageable within the church. He gives the, the model and the measure, and he says, this is what it's supposed to look like. You are supposed to be like me. And the result of that, the new result of that, he gives us here as well. Now, the old result, when you think about the call to love one's neighbor, which is a good thing, but we know not good enough, is that there would be peace in the land. It's that the, those who might see the, the neighbors, the other neighbors, would recognize that, that God is doing something here. But the new commandment that Jesus gives here takes this to a whole new level. Verse 35 it says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, we go from the result of the old commands to love is a very narrow, very focused, very regional thing. Jesus gives the new command here and says what? All people. How many of them? All. All people, this is the result of the followers of Christ loving one another just as Christ loves us. That all people would, that all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Friends, what we see here, and I, I want to land this. What we see here is an assurance from Christ. There is an assurance from Christ here that if we would but love each other as he loved us, that first of all, Christians will know each other by their love. Have you ever walked into a room and you start hanging out with someone and almost immediately you just know there's a spirit about this person and they're Christian. All people includes us, right? All people includes us, which means that 
by your love, I should be able to recognize that you are a Christian. If the inverse is true, though, that's kind of scary. There is an assurance of brotherhood in this. There is an assurance of family that I might know I'm not alone, that you might know that you are not alone, but that you are loved by a brotherhood, a sisterhood, by the church, an assurance of community. Do you know that all people also includes you? Did you know that in this, in our love for one another, there is an assurance of salvation? You get people all the time who wonder, am I really saved? Well, do you love? (laughs) Do you love? Are you actively loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? If the answer is no, then no, you're not saved. If you are, there is an assurance of salvation that comes here. Because all people, that includes you, will know. All people will know. The third thing we see in this is is an assurance of mission. Christians being known by the world for their love. An assurance of mission. Now, there are times when, when as a Christian, I, I wonder and I look at it, I'm like, is this message making any difference in the world? There's a promise right here in this passage that it will. There is a promise that, there, that the mission of God is, is working. That there are those who are seeing the church love each other. And that Christ is working and they recognize who's we are. They recognize whose we are. See, it says right here that all people will know that you are my disciples. Church, that we would know that each other are his disciples. We would know that we are his disciples. That others would know that, that we are his disciples. And they might also come see and believe because of it. When we think about this, when we think about this, the qualities of love that would bring this assurance, there's a few things that we, we might assume about it. The first one is that love must be visible. Right? It doesn't live here. It lives here and here. Right? It lives in our hands and our feet. It lives on our tongue. It lives in what we do and how we treat each other. It lives in all of these things that we do. If people are going to recognize that we are his disciples based on love, they've got to see it. It's not enough for it to live in here somewhere. The second thing about this love is that it's going to be different from the love of the world. Did you know That every human being is capable of generosity, goodwill, care, concern for others, donating to causes that they like. It's true. It's true. Every person is capable of this. That's because God is really good. 
And God gives a common grace on all people that causes us the ability to be decent to our kids, even loving, that causes us to be caring at times, that causes goodness outside of the church. God has given this. Friends, I just want you to know Christian love must be different. It has to be different. Christian love, if it is going to be recognized as the product of being a disciple of Christ, has to be different. It has to be what Christ would do. What does it mean to love your kids like Christ would love them? How is that different from how Bob and Sarah down the street love their kids? What does it mean to love your spouse as Christ would love your spouse? And not as Bill and Sue down the other end of the street for a child. I'm going to be honest, Dan. It's not enough. Because Christ loves you more than your mom does. Christ loves you, every one of us, more than, Christ, than we could ever love our kids. Christ loves my kids more than I do. I love my kids a lot. But Christ loves them more. What does that look like? We don't have time for that. <laughs> okay, this is one of those moments where we say, hey, guess what we get to do? We get to spend the rest of our lives figuring it out and studying Scripture. Because we are called to love this world, to love the people, to love each other the way Christ does. One of those ways, I think, is consistency. See, what I believe when I look at the world is the world is capable of great good, great compassion, great things, but what it's incapable of is consistency. It's going to mess it up. Eventually, it's going to ignore. Eventually, it's going to get left on the wayside, and you say, but Matt, so does ours. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not supposed to. It's amazing what acts of love we can do for people out of Christ, with Christ's power, it's amazing what happens when we put Christ's power down that we can just mess it up. Christ's love was consistent. It didn't waver. It didn't change. It was constant. The fourth thing we know about the love that we are supposed to have for one another is that it should be attractive. It should be attractive. Now, the point is not getting seen and noticed, right? Um, Jesus actually tells us to not let our, it's our right hand, see what our left hand is doing, our left hand, see what our right hand is doing, right? The goal is not, hey, look at me, I love people. It's not. Okay, the goal is actually loving people, and what happens in that is people notice. A number of years ago, we had a family in our church, not this church, previous church, um, that uh, the, the husband left the wife fairly suddenly. Three kids. And they got to where they couldn't afford the home they were in. They just couldn't make ends meet. And so what happened is our church, at least a pretty large group from our church, one, one Saturday showed up at her house. 
And this group, it was about 30 or 40 people, if I remember right, showed up and they fixed every single thing in the house that needed to get fixed. They painted everything. They did all the things so that the house could get sold, so that she could get into a new situation. They live in a cul-de-sac, and if you can imagine, you know, 30 or 40 people showing up in a cul-de-sac, and the cars are just, like, pouring out, and one of the neighbors comes over and says, what are you, what is this? <laughs> right, this is suburbia. People don't do that. And somebody said, well, you know, we're helping this individual um, get things together so that she, she can get moved out. She can, can kind of begin life again. So that neighbor, what did that neighbor do? That neighbor went and ordered like 50 pizzas and had them delivered and showed up, right? It's attractive. It gets noticed when we love each other the way we're supposed to love each other. Friends, love left. And it left a God-sized hole, and Jesus has called you and I, he's called us to fill it by loving each other the way that he would love us. It makes me think about this verse in Ephesians chapter 4 as Paul is praying for the Ephesians. He writes this, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Paul, right here, points to us, points to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and says, you are the ones who will help each other understand how deep, how wide, how high, how long the love of God is. It's his prayer. It's his prayer that they would understand it, and he points to the church being the fulfillment of that. So let me ask you a few questions before I pray. The first, hey, thanks, Rick. How good at you are you at loving one another? How good at you are you at loving the Christ followers in your own home? How good at you are loving the Christ followers in the next pew down from you? How good are you at loving the Christ followers who are at the church across the road? How good are you at loving the Christ followers who believe different things than you do? How good are you at loving the Christ followers in far-off countries, far-off places? How good are you at loving the Christ followers who do not yet know that they are Christ followers? Because the reality is, is the call to love one another as Christ loved us extends to all those who will be saved. Maybe you're sitting here in the pews today and you are one of those who have not yet been saved and not yet given your life over to Jesus. And you're wondering, how do I do that? Or you're considering whether or not it's worth casting your lot into this life. 
How good are we at loving those who are not yet but will be Christ followers? Church, as we consider God's call on us to love one another, what I want us to do in preparation for communion in just a minute is this. As we're preparing our own hearts for whatever various things might be in your head and in your heart during that time, I want each one of us to ask the Lord who it is that we should be loving better right now. Ask him for a name. To give you a name of someone that you are supposed to be loving better than you have been or differently than you have been. I believe as we come to the Lord and we seek him and we ask for things like this, he will give us an answer because it's his will. If you don't yet know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, please find me, Scott, or someone else in this room that you know loves Jesus. Do not leave this place until you have given your life to him. If you are someone who has been a Christian and you know that you need to love more and love better, lay that out before the Lord before you take communion. He will receive that. He will hear that from you. Church, I pray that we would be a people that constantly ask the Lord, Lord, who, who can I love better today? Who should I love better today? And let him answer that. And then let us act. Because the love that Christ had for us was not a love that just lived in concept. It was a love of practice. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your word today. I thank you so much, Lord, that you would call every single one of us beyond our ordinary means. I pray, Lord, that we would fully depend on you as we do this. Because, Lord, there is no way that we can love like you did apart from you, apart from being rooted in you. God, I pray that that would drive us to you, to your, um, Lord, to your loving embrace, to your equipping, to your calling, to your encouraging, Lord, as we seek to do what we cannot do apart from you. Help us, Father, as we come into this time of communion, the Lord's Supper, Lord, to lay down any sin that is in our lives, to repent of that, and to believe that you will take and remove that from our lives. Lord, I pray that you would work in us in this time. We thank you, Lord. Amen.